You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Today's episode is an on-air coaching call. This means I take a fellow yoga teacher through a mini strategy session that they have graciously allowed me to release as a podcast episode. These on-air coaching calls are a fascinating peek into the brains and the lives of other yoga teachers. I receive a lot of feedback that they help listeners feel less alone and more connected to their fellow teachers. I personally have a tremendous amount of gratitude and admiration for each yoga teacher who shows up on these on-air coaching call episodes to share their story, their challenges, and their aspirations. If you enjoy this podcast and want to contribute, please go to teachingyoga.net slash learn to browse the online courses you can purchase there. If you'd like to be featured in an on-air coaching call, email your topic idea to mado at teachingyoga.net. That's M-A-D-O at teachingyoga.net. Welcome to the podcast, Davita. Thank you. I'd love to start with a little bit about your yoga journey, why you started practicing yoga, and then why you decided to become a teacher. 94, I got engaged and for selfish reasons started teaching fitness because it's consistency that matters. So I knew if I was the instructor, I would show up regularly and see the results. So I did that for a few decades. And then I started having back problems and I couldn't get out of bed. And I had many classes. And quite frankly, I thought I was going to have to just give up teaching weightlifting and Zumba dancing, which I love. Went to a chiropractor who put me on physical therapy. And like everyone else I knew, once I stopped uh, doing the physical therapy, I probably would stop doing the exercises. But in my mind, I said, this looks a lot like yoga. So maybe I need that in my life. So I started doing it a little more regularly. And of course, employed the same idea that if I want to be consistent, I need to teach it because that's going to make me show up regularly and do it. So I did my first 200-hour training in 2016 and was able to start teaching at the gym where I was already working. After doing the training and understanding the idea of mind-body connection, it just clicked for me and i just fallen in love with it. And during my training, I was introduced to yin yoga. And while regular yoga had helped me with my back, I was feeling better. It was the yin yoga that really took away this little nagging pain that I would particularly feel when I was climbing stairs and then after a few years of practicing and then teaching in, I, I am so much better. I can stand longer. I could sit longer. So I just have really fallen in love with yoga. And now I want to do it into my old age and onto my deathbed. <laughs> I love how you talk about this desire for consistency leading you into teaching first fitness and then yoga. Because... I think a lot of times there, when people talk about how they got into yoga and why they started teaching, there's like this very selfless thread of, oh, I just wanted to be of service. I don't think it's acknowledged enough what it does for us 
as human beings to have, first of all, that training and then that motivation to show up. And I can really relate to that. That's, I think, a big reason, not necessarily why I started teaching, but why I kept teaching. That even when my life took me in directions where teaching couldn't be the center of my life, that I didn't want to give that up because I suspected that if I gave up teaching, that my practice was going to deteriorate. Yeah, just love that that perspective and appreciate you sharing that. What it makes me think about is how self-care for ourselves gives us the ability to care for others. So I think they're connected. I think those two motivations are connected. I just think that the one is talked about a lot and the other one is just not as acknowledged. Yes, yes. So in your intake form, you shared what you wanted to talk about today. So I thought since you did such a lovely job in the intake form, i just have you read that, just that one paragraph. I wrote, I struggle with imposter syndrome. My goal has been to grow into an old lady yoga guru for my retirement where I can teach yoga at exotic places and travel the world. I recently decided I don't have to wait to start this journey. I have led a few workshops and a yoga retreat coming up. I will organize and do one on my own. I struggle with feeling like I have enough to offer for a two-day retreat. How can I structure? How can I make it meaningful? So there's two parts in here that I'm hearing. The first is the imposter syndrome, and the second is more practical. So I want to start with the imposter syndrome, because addressing that is probably going to take care of a lot of the practical issues. What I'm curious about for you is, how does imposter syndrome show up? And specifically, what does imposter syndrome feel like to you? Can you describe it to me? Maybe the first thoughts that come to my mind are that I haven't been doing this long enough. I haven't had enough education about it. That, especially in the Denver area where I live, you can throw a rock and hit a yoga teacher. (laughs) That uh, there are so many more people who have more experience and are better teachers. And will this be enough? Will people feel the benefit, feel satisfied? Will they come back? I want to share, uh, I'm working at a studio and we're going through a transition with our sign-up system, which could be a contributor to the fact that I've had two classes in the last week where no one has showed up. And it's just like a dagger in my heart. And, and I start feeling like, it's me. I take it personally. And in a logically, I know I shouldn't because it's summer and, you know, it's not the most convenient time where these classes, these particular classes are offered. And plus, I know we've been having some issues transitioning. But uh, yeah, the the ego is talking and making it personal. Yeah. So I'm hearing a lot of thoughts that are running around your mind. And what I want to do is get underneath those thoughts into the feelings. So there's no rush. You can take your time. But when you think those thoughts, 
What does it feel like in your body? It's very interesting you're asking this because this is my theme this week. And I have been thinking about that. I feel heavy in the heart. I feel heavy in my heart. I think that's mostly where I feel it. Maybe a little in my stomach too. Yeah. And I wonder if right now, could you take a moment to sit with those feelings and hold them in compassion and hold them in love and the sense of recognizing that these feelings are part of you, that they're welcome even, that they're just a part of this multifaceted being that is Davida. And they're friendly. They're a part that comes from what you just said, this real desire to be of service and to be providing something that people value. It's a little easier now to accept that because I'm a little away from the situation. And it's funny, the first time when I went in and no one was in the class, you know, I was in a heightened state because I drive a ways to get there and there's traffic. And, and I know in my mind, I told myself, you're just anxious and worked up because you drove here and always nervous about being early enough and then to come in and, you know, when I signed up. So I just, all of it just came out of me. <laughs> and I try to talk myself out of it and focus on, you know, the people who have come to the class or have given such positive feedback. And holy cow, there's one woman who thanked me so much for helping her to feel and figure out what was going on in her body. And she turned out she went to the doctor and discovered that she had cancer and was able to catch it early. But that's not something that comes into my head when you go into the classroom and it's empty or when, like I said, I am planning a retreat and trying to figure out what to put on the agenda. It's hard. How do you make yourself cling, anchor onto those successes instead of just feeling like you're not, you know, it's not enough. What can I do more? How can I be better? Yeah. I think because it is not about comparing the successes to the potential failures. It's really about going beyond both of them. So it's not about believing anything. It's about tapping into the part of you that is beyond belief, right? The part of you that is bigger, that knows without words, without stories, and that's the part that you are tapping into when you notice the heaviness in your heart. If you try to use another small part of yourself, like a part of yourself that believes like, oh, but there's this these people that I've really affected and I'm actually good. As a longtime practitioner, I imagine that you have had those experiences where you connect with something that transcends those thoughts. And that's what you are calling upon when you're holding that heaviness in your heart and holding space for it. I'm trying to describe it in words. That's the only tools I have. And I know I can do that with you because of your long years of practice. You need to translate my words into that lived experience that you already have. And that's what you draw on. And that's what doesn't get rid of the heart heaviness, but the heart heaviness no longer 
is the primary driving force. We want to tap into the essence of our own wisdom body, our own higher selves, and live more from there. And that's the exact same thing that is going to allow you to hold space in a workshop or in a retreat in a way that's really makes an impact on the participants. It's not about the tricks. It's not about the knowledge or the years teaching. It's about the capacity to tap into and hold space from that part of yourself that can acknowledge the heart heaviness and the fear and the doubt and hold it in love and not let that heart heaviness, doubt, and fear be what drives you. It's there, but it's not in control. So basically just acknowledging the feelings and summoning the courage to move forward. I think it's more than acknowledging the feelings. And this is why it requires some practice. You need to bring this into your personal practice where you spend time not just acknowledging, but holding the feelings in love, appreciating and welcoming those feelings and softening and allowing yourself to be vulnerable to those feelings instead of guarding against them and pushing them away and saying, oh no, you're dangerous, you're not helpful to me, I don't want you here. So you can't only do that like in these high stress situations where you're about to teach. You have to do this in your cocoon of your practice. Then you can build the muscle, so to speak, of doing it right before you teach. So maybe in my yin practice, focusing on the heart space and that I don't want to be carried away by my thoughts. I think yin is a lovely container for this kind of practice. And I think the first step is a softening to whatever comes up and a welcoming it. It's like you're setting the stage, the intention for your practice of, I'm here for whatever happens. I am capable of handling feelings. That's part of what I am built to do is feel. And feelings aren't dangerous, even though they feel that way sometimes. So again, this is something beyond words, but can you experience a softening and a welcoming to your own emotional life? Is that something that you feel like you can do? Most definitely with practice, of course. Yeah. And I think that's the first step. And then there, there might be a naming of a story like, oh, there's the story that I'm not good enough. There's the story that I'm not experienced enough. A naming, acknowledging, hey, that's a story. There might be some truth to it. It might be a complete lie. But the story is creating my experience right now. And because it's coming from my brain, I know that there is a positive intent for that story. I know that the part of my brain that's generating that story wants to protect me in some way. 
And so I'm going to hold that in love. I'm going to feel that feeling and even welcome that feeling so that it doesn't grow stronger under pressure. And I'm going to tap into the part of myself that can appreciate this desire to for self-protection. And through that, there's the potential for healing, for a lessening of the impact of the story. And most of all, for you to be able to feel through that story that's very powerful or the feeling that's very powerful into the part of you that is wiser than that. So maybe within a regular yin practice, allowing these feelings to come up and identifying the story that comes with it. That simple? Yeah, I would say so. And at the same time, I think the one other layer is creating a sense of welcoming for that experience. Even though it's painful, if you can welcome that experience and recognize that by doing it in the container of your practice, you're doing it in the safest way possible. You're doing it in a time where you have, you're resourced, you're safe physically. There's nobody else's opinions impacting you. It's really your time. Okay. That's a great idea. I have been cheating myself lately and not doing full practices. And you don't have to do a long practice to do this either. So just because I know sometimes we, we do cheat ourselves or we tell ourselves the story of like, since it's just a short practice, it's not going to be deep. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, this could just, this could take a moment. This could happen in a moment. And you can start to do this throughout your day anytime you notice that heart heavy feeling because those feelings are a, a message from your body. So if you learn to recognize the way that your body talks to you, that can be a moment to pause. Maybe you're even driving and you're still driving. It's a route you've driven thousands of times and you notice this and you can ask yourself, what am I thinking about that led to this? And can I just hear as I'm driving, love on that part of myself that generated this thought because it wants to protect me and also feel beyond it to know that's not all of me. That's just a part of me. And it's maybe a part of me that has some value. It has some value in that it's teaching you about different parts of yourself and the way that you interact in the world. So it's not something that we're trying to get rid of or push away or resolve. It's just a part of you that you want to understand better and then continue to make wise choices that aren't completely influenced by these feelings, these heavy, hard feelings. So I think yin practice or a meditation practice, these are a great place to plant the seeds. Then we can start to bring it 
into our daily lives, any time that we feel uncomfortable feelings, this is a signal from our bodies. And it's an opportunity for us to integrate the different pieces of ourselves. Sometimes we're not in an opportunity where we can really do that. Sometimes we're in the middle of an interaction with somebody else and we can make a note. Well, like, wow, wow, I'm feeling that heart heaviness. And if possible, you could even say, hey, I need to take a few minutes to myself. I'd love to continue this conversation in a few minutes. You know, that would be kind of a really cool strategy. But whatever's going on, it's not always the time that you can do that. But there will be so many opportunities. That's the work of being human in a way. We're one of the big ones. Yes, yes. Thank you. It's hard to be human. Absolutely agree with you on that. It's very hard to be human. It's painful to be human because of these brains that make up all these stories. <laughs> so this is how we heal imposter syndrome. Not by getting rid of it, but by recognizing it for the friend that it is and learning to incorporate it into our experience of ourselves without letting it dominate us. I'm going to try to be really vulnerable here. Like I said that one time, and I know I was like in a heightened state because of my um, commute. And I, I started crying. And then I said, what are my yoga tools? You know, here I am practicing this yoga. What can I do to make myself feel better? And really, I did sit with the feelings and led me down a whole rabbit hole <laughs> of things coming up. And it didn't really help, at least not right away, but it sure gave me a, a lot more to, to think about some connections that I made. So maybe it happened for a reason so that I can start moving in this direction of healing. That sounds like something that it would be really great to have a therapist help you unpack. That's what I thought too. <laughs> and I even asked a friend who sees a therapist. I said, so what's it like seeing a therapist? Does that help you a lot? Especially just talking everything out. Maybe I need that. Yeah, I think different therapists work in different ways. If you resonate with some of the things that I've shared with you today, then you might look for a therapist that uses a technique called internal family systems. And internal family systems, sometimes people get confused by the word family. It's not about your family of origin. It's not about other people. It's about Acknowledging that within ourselves, we have multiple aspects, and those aspects together create the family of our own identity. Makes sense. Yeah. So it's really about integrating, because I think a lot of the psychological struggles that modern humans deal with stems from a feeling of inner conflict, right? There's part of me that feels this and believes this. There's part of me that feels this and believes this. And if we think that is wrong, if we believe that is wrong, and that is not how it should be, then we have a, a lot of angst about it. So what's cool about internal family systems is that 
it allows you to meet every part of yourself with compassion and love and acceptance. Mm. And so we start from the place of we're already whole and every part of ourselves is benevolent. Every part of ourselves is benevolent. Even the part that yells at our kids and we feel terrible afterwards. Even the part that does things that, like our shadow side. So from this philosophy, our shadow side is benevolent. Our shadow side is trying to protect us in a clunky way. And so by not hating or rejecting any part of ourselves, then we create that feeling of integration that is much more functional. So we don't have to project on other people as much. Makes sense. So if you're interested in finding a therapist, the strategy that I've used before is to go on this website called Psychology Today. And there's a directory of therapists on there. You can filter by geographic area. You can filter by gender. You can filter by age. You can filter by if you have any specific conditions or diagnoses. And you can filter by philosophy. So you could actually filter for people who work with IFS. Okay, wonderful. And I think that's really important if you find that doing this work takes you down a rabbit hole because the therapist can hold space for you and can say, okay, let's come back to the feeling in the body. Because if we're going down a rabbit hole, it's a thought rabbit hole. And one of the things that the therapist can do is recognize when you're doing that and come back to the body, come back to, you know, keep you anchored and grounded in the present moment. And that's another thing that I appreciate about IFS is that it's not really about reliving the past. We want to acknowledge what happened in the past, but it's not about like spending days and weeks and years talking about our childhood. It's really about only about concerned with the threads of our childhood that are showing up right now. Okay. So that is big work. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly the work I think needed from people who will hold space in workshops and in retreats. Because in some sense, you're going to be holding space for other people to do similar work. You may not use the same language. It may not be that entire system. But you want to create a space where people are able to feel their feelings and accept all pieces of themselves. And you said, I think before we start started recording, you said you had some fears about, you know, being boring, not being interesting or exciting enough. <laughs> and what could possibly be more interesting and more important than holding that kind of space? So it's really not about your techniques or anything you do. It's more about what you invite and what you welcome. I've taken workshops with people who had a lot of techniques and a lot of strategies and not a lot of connection or ability to be sensitive to the people that they're working with. And 
they didn't help me as much as workshops that I've taken with people who were just really present. Whole idea that you can read about it and talk about it, but actually living it allows you to hold space, really genuinely hold space. Yeah. And when you do that, when you are able to be really present, then you can have more clarity on which strategies or techniques are going to have the most impact so that it's not about presenting a lot. It's about presenting the right things. Yes, yes. That's what I'm searching for. And in some ways, when you're thinking about the skill set of leading workshops or retreats, you got to dive in there and do it and learn through experience. Because you'll get to know yourself and you'll get to learn what your strengths are and you'll make mistakes. And then through those mistakes, you'll know what not to do in the future. <laughs> so I encourage you to recognize that you have enough and you know enough now to start offering these workshops and these retreats. And that through those offerings, you're going to grow your skill set. You are right. And what's interesting is that the yoga practice has really supported my Buddhist practice and helped me to sit still longer. So awesome it works. <laughs> I feel like I, so I do have that compassion and I have that sense of consistency. And, you know, obviously understanding <laughs> that that's what it takes and then it's a practice. I think we need guidance sometimes on how to, what direction to take the practice, you know, what practice to implement. And uh, I guess it's all leading me here. It really is. All of this is coming together. Obviously, this is something that I've struggled with, something I've struggled with for a long time time. And uh, my way to overcome it maybe is to be louder and bigger. I'm good at attracting attention. I'm a tall person. And I can realize that I always just hide my insecurity by maybe being louder and bigger or more shinier. That doesn't seem appropriate for yoga. Just a moment ago when you were talking about your practice, this beautiful smile spread across your face and your eyes got really bright. And so you were, it seemed, really connected to something that's very meaningful to you. And you had this presence that is infectious. That is something that is going to draw people to you. But when you hide yourself and you cover over yourself, then you put up this wall. So I see this potential in you of somebody who has so much love and wisdom and experience to share. And you really have to become willing to share it, willing to let people see you. And you're totally capable of that. Yeah, no, no smoke and mirrors, right? <laughs> yeah. I think you've given me a lot to think about. And I look forward to listening back to this podcast and taking some notes. Uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start right away just really acknowledging these feelings. The next time I'm on my mat, 
and try to get in touch with them and, and just get off my butt and find a therapist too, because I, I realize I've been struggling with this for a while, you know, not just in yoga. And when it comes up, I can feel that feeling again. And I'm going to let my mind run away to negative things. <laughs> so you're right. Once you address that first question and the second one of how do I structure my retreat, <laughs> it just starts to come naturally. I just want to appreciate you for showing up for this conversation. Because based on what we just talked about, being vulnerable is difficult for you and you really showed up fully for it. And I thank you for that. Thank you. And I just want to say that I so appreciate you and your podcast and everything you say. You're just so encouraging and present yourself. And, and I just want to tell you to keep doing what you're doing because you are, are supporting us and you are doing your part towards world peace too. So I love you. Thank you. Don't you dare edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too, Davida. <laughs>